It's 1998, in the emergency room of the University of Colorado Hospital in Denver. The place is slammed, and an exhausted first-year medical intern is overwhelmed as six new patients arrive. In that moment, he decides it might be time to run out the door and become a comedian. I knew I couldn't go back. Changes your you just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. She's dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't That I. was the turning point. Hi, I'm Phil Cogan. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast, where I talk to mavericks, innovators, and disruptors. People who take chances, those who swerve off the predictable road, face their fears, and refuse to say no. Amazingly resilient people who are motivated and tenacious. Those who have said bucket and who epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. You'll no doubt know today's guest as the host of NBC's American Ninja Warrior. He's also been an actor on The Drew Carey Show, NCIS, and General Hospital. He's one hell of a comedian, but also a cancer survivor, health advocate, and winner of Celebrity Apprentice. Matt Eisman graduated from Princeton with honors and earned a medical degree from Columbia University. Clearly a smart dude, and cut out to be a doctor, which he became, but he also cut out of being one which is the beginning of Matt's story. Is there a doctor in the house? Or more accurately, was there one? Perfecto. You know, I've met you, what, I don't know, half a dozen times. Mm-hmm. And every time we always have a laugh. And But I just can't believe you were a doctor. I mean, I don't I'm just strike anyone to, as a doctor, do I? No. I, I mean, <laughs> like, was there a pivotal moment? Like, do you remember where you yeah. were, where... So t- take us into so, that moment. So I remember it was it was January of 99. And to give it a little context, I go to medical school, graduate, come back to Colorado where I'm, I'm practicing medicine at the University of... Or I'm doing residency. I'm doing my training at the University of Colorado where my dad's a professor. Christmas Day, we end up rounding together. So he's the attending physician. I'm his resident. And he couldn't have been... It's the greatest gift he probably ever could have gotten to have. He his must son have been in heaven. Following in his footsteps. Right. A month literally. later. A month literally. Right. Following in his footsteps, having to answer his questions. And the month later, I'm in the intensive care unit. We're getting slammed. We just had six admissions, and I'm there with a second year student. And they're like, just figure out what this patient needs. And so I'm sitting there trying to make life or death decisions. And I know there's someone who's gonna check my work, but I go. In six months, I'm going to be the person making these decisions. And it just hit me that I didn't feel, I didn't feel that I warranted that responsibility because I didn't feel committed enough. And I did, that was the moment where I just felt like this is not, this is not good for me. Like this was is it not a, good for my like patients. a switch moment? It was, it was, a, it was just this moment of, of when I left the hospital that morning, I knew I couldn't go back. I couldn't continue. I couldn't keep doing it because it was just this feeling of either something was going to happen. Either I would break or, or, or someone You'd would be, break somebody I, or I'd break somebody. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Either one. And, and it just kind of, it, it, it was, a, it was the guilt. It was this guilt of pretending, yeah. pretending to be something and, and pretending to love something that I didn't, didn't love. 
So when you realize you don't want to be right. a doctor and you don't want to save lives, you don't want the responsibility. <laughs> when you put it that way, I yeah. sound awful. Well, you don't want to save lives. You don't want to make a difference. Listen, I don't want to do that either. I, I can't know. imagine the responsibility yeah. of, of having that. But when you realize that that's not what you want to do, where did the idea of hosting acting come from? It, was, it didn't. So I... When I did medical school, I had a friend who was doing stand-up comedy who, who brought me out to an open mic. Okay. And just the very word stand-up comedy. Right. Or words stand-up comedy. That, just like my heart starts pounding. It's funny. Like, well, why I, did you want to do that? I guess I always enjoyed... Being a younger younger child, I was the one who always looked for attention. And my mom... I, I say people go into stand-up for two reasons. Either they weren't hugged enough as a child or they were hugged too much. Okay. And I was definitely the latter. My mom thought I hung the moon. Everything I did you was a mama's hilarious. Boy, totally it? a mama's boy. Okay. And so still, my okay. mom just... Has that affected your relationships with women? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm newly single. My girlfriend and I just broke up. Is and it I because think your mom is hugging you too much? Because my mom... <laughs> <laughs> this just took a turn. No, I'm just... It, it is. Well, I'm a handful because I am If I open someone, up a can of worms, if, are, you, if, are you getting therapy like over this woman, right now? If a, woman, if a woman dates me, she goes, okay, here's a guy who has a job. He used right. to be a doctor. He's going to be responsible. And yet I he's was caring, so spoiled by... And I, I, mean, I think I'm a nice guy, but at the same same time my mom created a monster i want someone who's gonna nurture me and take care you of mean me and you're, spoil you're, me. you're you, my you girlfriend. want somebody your girlfriend you my want girlfriend, to be like your mother a little bit i i like to be mothered i'm sorry okay it's terrible she no that's a, what does so, that mean what does that entail it's a connection and i also like i think we someone. should have a hug man hug later we'll, we'll do it just I, as a goodbye I totally thing. do yeah okay good i'm I totally, totally comfortable do. with that and yeah. and i also think i want someone who's uh who's a teammate yeah like in a, in a relationship, I'm someone who's like, hey, we're, so let's you be you world. and let's me be me supports me and I do the same for them. Yeah. But in the end, it's us against the world. Yeah. And so that's, you know, so you're still trying to find that. Love. Still trying to find that. What's love. the number that people should call <laughs> when you decided to make the move? What did your parents say? Go for it. So were they worried? Well, about it you? was the hardest. That was the hardest part, I think, was telling my dad, because I really thought I thought he was going to be crushed. Or, or, or at least disappointed. He never forced me into it. I think it was more a case of, for me, I, and I, I didn't grow up with a passion to be a doctor. I think I kind of grew up in a house where achievement was always pushed. Just do your best right. at, at whatever it is. Try hard. And obviously, you know, I saw my dad coming home and I think he had tremendous job satisfaction as a doctor. And so it wasn't that he ever forced me. It was that he set such an example of, I saw how passionate he was about his career and how people um, appreciated him. And I thought, this is something worthwhile. This is something worthy. This would be a great achievement. And this is perfect on paper. To tell him, like, I've made it. I've followed in your footsteps. And now I don't want this. I thought, not only is it disappointing, it's also a little bit of a rejection of what he did. And so I wasn't sure... It, was, it took me about a month and a half to work up the courage to say, I'm, I'm going to take a year off. And I'm going to go to L.A. and just give it a know, shot. Honestly, I thought I'll come out for a year. I'll have a fun time. I'll probably come to my senses and realize medicine is a great career and come back. I, I don't th I, I wasn't confident I was going to come out here and rule the world. In and your first stand up routine was where? First time I ever did it was in New York City during med school. And it went great. Oh, so, you, so you'd already had a taste done, of it before it like, you had the pivotal moment. I'd done stand-up about six or seven times before I decided 
I'm taking a year off. I can be, I could travel, which I'd done. I could go be a ski bum for a year and, you know, be a bartender. Or I thought I'd never done anything really creative other than stand up a few times. And I thought, I just kind of felt like my whole life had been sports and school. And I thought I want to explore a different side and just kind of have a vision quest or whatever you, you it is. You wanted to be hugged by an audience. I wanted to be hugged by an audience. Well, so it's funny you say that because that's exactly how what happened is when I got on stage out here within three weeks and I'm doing awful open mics, some of them right up there on when Venezuela. When you say like, awful, give, give me, I mean, describe people a people there who were other comics, people just sitting there going, like you tell a joke and you hear, it's funny, but you see it like in an LA crowd, they're very jaded. And so yes. it, it just bombed. I want to go back to the first time you ever did stand up yeah. before you bombed at the other one that you right, were talking right, about. Right, yeah. right, right. But that first time, apparently that went pretty well. So it was amazing. I think I'd spent, I, I, uh, I'd written the material and performed it in my head hundreds of times. Do you remember the, a good joke from that? The, it better be funnier than the one you told me. Oh God. Well, first of all, I didn't say I, I I didn't go by Matt Eisman. I went by Rock Eisman. Okay, now where, thought, where, why Rock? Because I thought Matt sounds like such a boring name. Oh, and, and Rock like, Entertainment. Rock sounds like he's a rock. man of action. Yeah, yeah so I was like, like, ladies and gentlemen, stage, Rock Eisman. And the, the guy, he, well, he introduced her. He goes Rock Eisner. Oh, and uh, I I I don't remember my first joke. It was something like. Uh, was it a doctor joke? It was a joke? masturbation joke. No, I don't even think I mentioned being a doctor because uh, I just, I didn't think anyone A, would believe it or B, find it funny. So just take us into that moment then, that first stand-up routine. So the first, the first stand-up routine, I'd gone to college in New Jersey, so I had a ton of friends Did in New Did you have York. to pay people? Or? And no, so they're, they're all excited because they want to they see me bomb or whatever. It's an excuse for them to drink. So 60 of my friends show up. So the entire room is my friends. And what they did then That's is, gotta be comforting. It's comforting, but what they do is they don't wanna put you up early because they know your friends will leave. Uh -huh. So it probably took three hours. And meanwhile, my friends are just getting schnockered because <laughs> they're drinkers. And, uh, and so by the time I get on stage, they're drunk. The show went great. I'm like, I love stand up. And then like a week later, I did another show without 60 of my friends. And it was silence. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, you, did, did you did you feel like oh there. i'm gonna give I'm, up now i i would no it was it, it it became this thing that where it taught me the lesson of instead of thinking of quitting i'm like i have to get back on stage again right. i have to get this out of my mouth and i think that's when you know you belong when you're like you don't take it you're like i'm not gonna quit it's i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna get back on that horse right and, and but that, that speaks to your tenacity because I've I've met people who've got way more talent than me, and I just see that they don't have yeah. the resilience. Like I, I I say to people when they ask me for advice, I say, trying to get a career, find a career in television or film or entertainment in general, it's kind of like a marathon. Yeah. And a lot of people will get to that 18th mile, and it gets hard and difficult, and they hit that wall, and then they give up. And they've got all this talent, yes. but all their life, they're so used to being told how talented they are right. that they don't necessarily want to put the work into mm -hmm. then nurturing that talent and pushing that talent. Well, I, I completely agree. And one of the things I, I, I say is nothing happens on the couch. Mm -hmm. Like so many people, I think, like you said, feel entitled or feel I'm so talented. People are going to knock down my door. Right. And the, and the phone's going to go and I'm going to be. The phone's going to go. People are going to discover me. And the reality is people who are 
just as talented or less talented are out there pounding down doors and going, you have to look at me, you you know, and, and that's why I always tell people, my advice is say yes to everything. There's no project too small. There's no connection too small that you don't know that, that could pay off. And even just showing up someplace, showing up on a set, you might meet somebody. And you learn something. You learn. You, and you, you're you want out that there. In, you're around the, a connection, a That network. inherent curiosity. I tell people, luck is the residue of design. Yeah. It's a quote that I got from my father-in-law. But I love that. Luck is the residue of design. So I, I tell people, you put in the hard work. Eventually, it will all pay off. It, but you're absolutely right. People, people look at the, lucky, at the success it, right. end of it, but they don't see the years of work that come before. And they don't it. also see when people say, oh, you get, you know, you got one show and then you got another one. That's not by accident. When, no. when I look at people who keep getting it, clearly people enjoy working with them or people think what they do is valuable. So when I look at the Kardashians, it's not my cup of tea. But anyone who's managed to stay relevant for a decade and control pop culture is doing they something have, right. I tip my cap to them. Right. I'm like, it's not my thing, but you're clearly working hard. You're reinventing yourself. Something's working. Something's working. So, so again, I think to for people who say, "Oh, put a camera on me," I'd be that interesting. Like, yeah. Well, you're not. And that was one of the other things too. I think is that I appreciate what I do. Mm. And I made a point. So when I was on Apprentice every day, congratulations, by the way, Thank you. I no never, knows I, I, I uh, never, I never said congratulations no one knows. to you. No one, no one, no what one are you knew. talking about? Uh, you, you it won. was great. It was great. That's it pretty was cool. Great. It was funny. Uh, it was, I was, I was really proud to win and it was great for the charity, but, but more importantly was every day at one point I would take out my phone and text my friends. Like I'm hanging out with Ricky Williams or, or Brooke Burke or Arnold Schwarzenegger just said hello to me. And I just remember saying, I never wanted to take this for granted that we're playing make-believe yeah. and we're getting paid way more money than we ever imagined. One of the things that I admire about you is just your, you, you feel this responsibility to also give back. And I love that you've gone and you've had some interesting experiences yeah. uh, performing in front of the troops. Amazing. And, and what does that feel like for you it's, as a performer? So the first time I went overseas was September 11th, 2002. And to fly on that day over to Korea, we, I went to South Korea. And so, you know, you're not in an active war zone or anything, but... But to fly overseas to people who are now, you look at them differently. And, and then to have, done, to have gone to Afghanistan and Iraq and to see kids who are 18 years of age and to imagine me in high school all of a sudden- Faced with that. Faced with that. And these people are going out there and putting their lives in the line. It's, it's the best audiences you'll ever get and the most appreciative audiences. Humbling. And for a second- Completely, because again, you know, sometimes we do get caught up in LA or I didn't get this audition. And here you are with a kid, a kid who's, who's prepared to die. He's prepared to die for us to be out here to talk about ninjas. And for a second, when you're telling a joke, you see these people who, you know, we're in huts where there are 80 people and they're out there for 11 months. And this was when they didn't have internet. They had an Xbox. There's no entertainment. They're just sitting. And for a minute, you're telling jokes and you realize right now they, they're laughing. They're not thinking about, I'm in a war zone. They're just being kids. I, I, I also think that maybe a big part of your, 
the charitable aspect of your work. It comes from your own health challenges. Absolutely. I have rheumatoid arthritis, so that's started a mile and a half away. Actually, Gold's Gym. Venice Beach, okay. Gold's Gym, the mecca of bodybuilding. Hold I started on. You, having, you go to Gold's Gym? I went to Gold's Gym for because I lived in Venice. So for okay. the first seven years, I was going to Gold's Gym. That's, I, again, that's I'm a, a Schwarzenegger show. fan, as okay. I know. So I'm, I'm at Gold's Gym, and I start having pain in my finger, and... Uh, I'm, I'm just like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm 30 years old. So I'm thinking oh, I must be, you know, a little tendonitis or something. And then I started jogging. And so it started having pain in the, in my feet and it was the course of a year and a half. And, and I was going to see doctors. I was, I was having checkups. I was having x-rays. I was having blood work. They're like, there's nothing wrong with you. We can't find anything wrong, but I knew something was wrong with me. And I continued to have pain and stiffness. And I just, I was losing energy. Were I you trying to out. diagnose yourself or? I, I didn't make, I, I didn't make that. Well, of course, I mean, to a certain extent, but I'm like, I also knew enough to know I need to see, I was seeing rheumatologists. I was seeing orthopedic surgeons. I was seeing acupuncturists. I was seeing holistic doctors. I complete mystery. Complete mystery. And so after a year and a half, during which time I gained 55 pounds, I was sleeping with a neck brace. I was popping pain pills, uh, naproxen, not but muscle relaxants. Right. I, I was just, I, I became a shell of myself and I went in to get an, an, an injection on my foot with my dad and the, the orthopedic surgeon said, I gotta just take an x-ray before I put a needle in your foot. And he puts the x-ray up and he goes, how long have you had rheumatoid arthritis? And I said, I guess about five seconds. He's like, this is this is RA. I'm like, I just had an x-ray a few months ago. He's like, well, go get your blood work checked. And the next day, everything was positive. So it but took It's a little a concerning a that it took a year and a half. It's, it's one of the things I remember a professor used to say this. Sometimes the body doesn't follow the textbook. Right. And, and that was you. And that was me. And it, it actually turns out that's the case. It can be kind of an insidious disease where you'll see these symptoms, but they just don't have sensitive enough tests yet to, to detect it. And then since then, since so I started on a medication and it was a silver bullet and I was lucky because this medication that I'm on, it's called a biologic. So a, rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. My body's attacking itself. They came up with, with, uh, these disease or these medications, biologics that downregulate your immune system, but they, they came out in 98. So this was, as I'm leaving medicine, they're developing this drug that four years later turns out to be the silver bullet. And but without it, I've, there's a, you know, I might be in a wheelchair now. It was, it was a pretty aggressive case. And instead this drug has arrested the disease. It hasn't progressed in me. And so I'm one of the ones who benefited from this. And so for me, I just thought I go around to meetings for the arthritis foundation and I see people who had the disease before these medications existed or who don't respond to these drugs and their bodies are ruined. They're wrecked. And I just think, I'm so fortunate that people who came before me gave time, money, resources. And now to, you're doing it. And now I'm trying to do it. And so and, the Arthritis and how have Foundation. You done it? So for me, I've been giving talks to the Arthritis Foundation. One of the things is I also noticed is whenever you try to self-diagnose, whenever you look up a disease, you see the worst case scenario. So I remember when I looked up rheumatoid arthritis, I didn't know anyone who had RA. And I looked it up and you see these, they're, they're called splay fingers. So you see the hands mangled in the feet. And I think this is going to be me. And what I wanted to do was also be so public about sharing my story. So when people looked up RA, they'd say, oh, wait a second, maybe I can go on and, and lead a full active life and host Ninja Warrior. And so 
I just thought how, how important it was for particularly young kids who get diagnosed to think that this isn't some sort of sentence or yeah, this right. is just something that's going to be a part of you, but you can go on and do so many amazing things. I kind of feel like there are four or five charities that have become my arthritis foundation is obviously my main charity. But and you've, can you just tell us how much money you've raised for them? So it's it, it was a million dollars through apprentice. And then since then it's probably been about another half million through various fundraisers. And every time I do stand up now, it's so impressive rather than selling merchandise, which is really awkward. Like, yeah. Hey, do you want to buy my CD? I give stuff away now. And I give away Ninja Warrior swag. I give away my CD and I say, take as much as you want. I just ask if you do make a donation make a donation. And I just have uh, a bag there. And it's amazing how much, when I used to try to sell stuff, you'd sell four or five, but when you give it away and ask for a donation, I've ended up raising like a thousand dollars in a night, you know, for, for the charity. And it's so nice. It's a great way of to, doing it. Right. It's, and it's so nice to be able to then say, I, 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 inevitably I'll meet someone in the crowd who says, you know, I have RM, like, what's your name? Yeah. And then I'll make the donation in their name to the arthritis foundation. So not only do you find out that you have rheumatoid arthritis, then you, then you get hit with a, a second yeah. health scare, which ironically, so I, I, I was having chest pain and, uh, because I'm on immunosuppressant drugs, I thought if this could be an infection and because you'd be immunosuppressed, it, it, it could actually be a worse infection that I'm just, it's, it's spreading my, my immune system's just not fighting it very well. So I thought I need to get a chest x-ray. It's as far as it went from, from my, my diagnostic point of view, the doctor gets a chest x-ray. He's like, you're, it's fine. Thank God you went to medical school. Right. I, I, I'm, I, you know, enough to know, don't trust yourself. Right. And the doctor then finds out I just flown. And so one of the risks is clots, pulmonary right. embolism. Especially so, being a big guy too, sitting right. in a small totally. plane. So he goes, I'm, I want to be thorough and just rule out a clot. So you're, you're going to get a CAT scan. And sends me to the emergency room and had to wait seven hours in this ER before they finally, because it's all triage and I, I was clearly not urgent. So I'm just sitting, sitting, sitting. So finally at two in the morning, get a CAT scan, the doctor comes in, he's like, your lungs are fine, go home. The next morning, a radiologist rereads everything. So this was just the attending physician who was just looking at the lungs. He reread it and he's like, your lungs are fine, but we found something on your kidney. And at that point it was just- Which is not where they were looking. It's, it was just coincidental. And it turned out to be Thank the opposite God side. For it was totally unrelated. People with initiative, right? It's, it's unbelievable that that uh, they caught this because it was it was small enough to where I, I go into the oncologist. He goes, you're lucky. And I go, it's not cancer. He goes, oh, no, no, this is cancer. But you're lucky because I think we caught this early enough that we can cure this with just surgery. Oh. So the kidney cancer is one of those ones that if it's caught early, you cut it out. That's it. No chemo, no radiation, nothing. If you don't, your prognosis precipitously drops. So they found this early because... Uh, really because of my rheumatoid arthritis. That was the only reason that I went in to get this chest x-ray that got the CAT scan. So I say rheumatoid arthritis saved me from cancer because otherwise this tumor was on the back of my kidneys. Like you, you wouldn't have detected it until it spread. And at that point you probably would have been done. And so it's just this kind of blind luck of the thing you think this curse RA ends up saving me from cancer. And so you, 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 we, we look at our lives and we, the things that you complain about, you always think it could be worse. And, and you, don't, you don't know what the plan is or how things are going to work out. 
And so I, 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 I always feel I've been a, a fairly optimistic person. And even with, with the cancer, it's funny, you, you know, I, I read about you having a life threatening near incident, death, yeah, in the near death experience. Yeah. And to me, when, when I was told you, cause there was a three week period from when he said the rheumatologist called and, or the, uh, the radiologist called said, there's an 80% chance this is cancer and you, you got to get it checked out. But it took three weeks before I had the surgery. They figured it out. It, it was malignant, but they got it out. And they're like, you're 99% chance you're cured. But during that three weeks, it was just this surreal period of, of trying to understand that, uh, that I might have cancer because I didn't feel sick. And it was just this idea of, I remember, I, I think the song was out, Live Like, Live like You're Dying. I think that was right to around Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw, yeah. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm not doing anything different. And I thought either I'm in complete denial or I'm already leading a pretty good life where I'm doing something that I love. I was doing stand up and hosting and I just thought, I don't know, whatever happens, I think I kind of, I kind of had a piece. There was a piece about it where you felt like either way, I'll be okay. And for, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, it worked out better. Well, we're, we're glad you're here. Yeah, right. Uh, I know. Did, did, have you made any life changes since then? Did you change how you... It, so it was, it, it, this was one of those things that it wasn't related to any, any of my lifestyle. Right. Um, but I think it's, it, it was, it again, it's just this, this idea of when you, you realize how fragile life is. And unfortunately we have too many reminders of, yeah. you know, losing friends, losing whatever. And when you get older, loss, it, it, you, you realize exponentially just how fast life is going. Yeah. And you can tell the young people that, and they won't believe you. you. You can't. It's, it's one of those things that you just have to learn on your own. And to, to, I think I'll, uh, to, um, to appreciate it too. And like, just what we were saying, when you, it's so easy to get caught up in the daily and things routine. that don't matter, things that don't matter. And, and all of a sudden you realize the years have gone years by go by. And, and these things of, of putting off things that you want to do. And, and so my, my dad, I've, I've had this, he's starting to slow down. How mentally. old is he now? He's 78. And, uh, is he still practicing? He stopped practicing. And I think he, he kind of realized that his mind was not as sharp. And so it, for, for me, it's been really hard because He's always been the larger than life figure. Yeah. This guy, I think that's really six hard. 6'4", 240, like this big hulk of a man who is the best read, smartest guy I've ever known. And I think took such pride in, in, in his mind. And now he's losing it. And I think it's just devastating him. And it's hard for us. When you start to think about your dad's about the same age as yeah. my dad. And you go, okay, so he's 78 years old. If he has a good life he's maybe got another seven summers yeah right i mean yeah. what do they say three school years and 10 he's getting he's already gone past that yeah. and and so then you start to think about it in terms of summers or moments and then you think that's when it gets scary i need to pick up the phone yeah. we got to plan something we have to do something now and that was i talked to him about it and and i talked to him and i said you with your health 
Like, do you, what are we doing? Do you want to, do you want a visit specialist? Do you want to, do you want to fight? Do you want to, what do you want to do? And he goes, I want to make memories. Yeah. I want to spend time with my family. How cool is that though? To and hear so that from your like, father. Yeah, right? It's just like, let's just, so we just, so what, just what's, been what's some good trips. memory that you, like, what's something so, that you think of when you well, think when of I your think dad? I think of my dad, uh, one of the best moments that I had was, so he was a doctor and very busy, but he always, like, I just remember when he would come home, we'd play catch. I love baseball. And I would just make him throw pop flies with me till the sun went down. And that's a good memory. It was great. And so I ended up playing baseball in college. You were pretty good. And I was okay. I was okay. But I, and, and I, yeah, went I think to you Princeton. might have played for your university. I didn't went you? to Princeton and where my dad had gone. And so my sophomore year, we were. Did he ever see you play? Playing for the championship. My parents flew oh, wow. out. And my dad's in the crowd. I pitch. I, I throw a complete game. We win. We win the we win the league. And I got the game ball. And I get a walk over. And my dad's there on the on the sidelines. And I get to give him the oh. game ball. And it's just like we got a photo like the father and son. And that's the that's sitting on his his dresser. At You're home. trying to make me cry. And it's it's one of those moments I of like that. of of you see it now. I see it more clearly now as I go back and see friends who have kids in school and think about my dad having been my age there and now seeing me have, have this moment and get to share it with him and know that I only had this moment because of him, because he spent all that time. Which goes back to why you're here. You're here to find a wife. Yeah, the I number know. to call is, <laughs> we need well, to start making to babies. I'm going to be an old dad. You, we need, I'm, you I'm, need, uh, you need a wife who loves baseball. You need to make a baby and create mom, this moment again. So my brother has, my brother has a five-year-old niece and I have become invisible, Phil. Whenever that girl is around, my mom is just like, this is it. This little girl That's the has future. become her life. Are you getting less hugs now? My mom is, is she's not hugging you as much. She, you know, she grew up, it was my brother, me and my dad. So right. it was just full testosterone. And now she has this little girl who loves to snuggle and read and, and give grandma kisses. I can see kisses. you're slightly hurt by and this. And it is, Who I Who knew that a five-year-old girl invisible. Would, would make you invisible to me, you? Mom? Yes. I'm 47. Oh, I still need my uh, We so have to it's, find a wife for you. It is. It is. It's a handful. It yeah. is a handful. Well, but you're a handful. People, well, people come home, and my room is unchanged since I graduated from high school. That's so. It's still got like Matt, the Schwarzenegger stop, poster. It's just. It I don't is, know. That just it's sounds. It's the biggest little, red flag for any sounds, woman. Yeah, I do, <laughs> do not. I, I'm just saying. I don't think. I love Arnold, but I, mean, I think if you, I think on it, no. paper, on paper, I'm grateful, and then they meet me, and they're like, yeah, they you go are to your, a child. go home, and they and they say, yeah, no, yeah. I, I just don't think that's gonna work. <laughs> I, <laughs> They look at my mom and go, you've ruined him. You know, you really have. My little baby. The show, Ninja Warrior. I love the show. Thank you. Um, it started out on cable. On G4, a network that doesn't even exist anymore. And, and, and I remember, look, I, this space is something that I am so interested in. The idea of testing yourself physically. Like yeah. a competition show where you're yes. tested physically. And, and for me, I remember getting a call for, uh, from my daughter because the, the first woman... To complete Casey Catanzaro. Casey, yeah. that's right. Yes. And that online just exploded. That changed our show. And for my daughter, once she saw that, that pulled her in because she was like, she loved the idea that this woman could kick ass. Could and, kick ass. Yeah. And it was, it's ours is one of the shows where you have men and women competing on the same course, one of the few shows. Which is unique. And it was unique. And people, women didn't know they could do it until they saw Casey mm -hmm. do it. And then all of a sudden, it's this idea of, oh, maybe I can. 
try this. Broke and now, the glass ceiling. Boom. We look, when we look at our most popular ninjas out of the top 10, seven of them are women. Have you had any wounded warriors on? We've had some wounded warriors on, a, a few of them. And, uh, you know, again, you, you, you tell these stories and I, I always, half, half the time now, I find myself saying, what's, what's your excuse? Yeah. What's your excuse for not pursuing your dream? What's your excuse for not going after something when this person who's been through something most of us could never imagine is out here putting themselves through something that, you know, this, this unbelievable, rigorous physical challenge. And, and I think it's a good metaphor. It's a good metaphor just to kind of see people um, sacrifice and and to to not make excuses because we do. I, I think it's it's so easy in life to to find reasons and like we were saying to find a reason of well they they just didn't like me because because they you know they thought I was too tall or something instead mm. of saying I, I could do better. Right. And or just having yourself. that inner confidence that just because someone doesn't like you doesn't mean that right. you're not a viable To handle entity. rejection. Right. Just, just to understand that not everybody can like you. Yeah. It, you know, we work in a it's, subjective business. Especially it's, with social media. Yeah. Where everybody can Loves have an opinion. Loves to bash and, you know. And, and so often people rather com- would rather complain than praise. Yeah. You worked on General Hospital once, right? I did. Yeah, I, I, I and just, so this is the great part. This was my first I'm just wondering if break. you ever got to use your doctor so skills. So this is it. I'm a doctor. I go in there. They're like, we don't believe you as a doctor. They cast me as a date rapist. As a, I, I, I literally, I had oh, to Oh, and they found you on believable? On Valentine's oh, Day, that's just I had wrong. to drug a girl's you, drink. You know that this is part of the problem and why you're not getting a it date. It is. Yeah, you know girls that, right? see me and they yeah. go, I remember wow. you. Oh, wow. Rock you're the guy Fowl. from... They, it, my name was Rock Fowler, too. Like, they took my comedy name and Rock Fowler. It was... Uh, I ended up dead in a dumpster. It was Fowler? really... Uh, yeah, that was foul. Like, they're very literal. Like, he's a foul guy. He's a foul guy. <laughs> He's like, they're churning out Fowler, 80 pages who ends a day. up in a dumpster. Ended up dead in a dumpster. Yeah. On General yeah you Hospital. need to leave him there. That was, that was in my past. That yeah. Was, you're done uh, with that. That was, it was funny. Again, I, I, I think coming out here, I thought I would be an actor, a comedic actor, something. Any desire to do any acting? Uh, I, I wouldn't mind it, but I just, I've, I've gotten. You like the hosting more? I love or? hosting. I love being myself. I yeah. love the idea of offering well, you're my You're good at opinions. being yourself. And it's kind of a small, we're a small group, yeah. these, these uh, reality show hosts. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun to see. Have you see. met other reality star hosts? Some of them, Mark hosts? Wahlberg, you yeah. know, who, nice guy. who did some of them. Super nice. Yeah. Super nice guy. Um, most of them have been nice. Mario yeah. Lopez, um, you know, who did, who did some of it. Um, I'm trying to think. Have you met Jeff Probst or... I met Probst briefly. Seemed really nice too. Nice guy. Yeah, I, um, I go back. I mean, you. I, I feel like you guys are kind of the OGs. What's OGs? Uh, the original gangsters. Oh, the you original guys have been doing gangster. For, oh, I'm sorry, I, mean, I was guys, down with that. You guys acronym. have been doing it for so. What are you trying to say? I'm saying like you guys are the ones who created what you, what it. What are you, you trying? Why did you say? You want to call me old? Let's let's be honest. <laughs> you act a lot younger How, than I do. How's the? Uh, you look how's great. The pl- how's the plastic surgery working on yeah, me? I, I, Is it good? <laughs> That's the one advantage we Look have. Look at the we 25 stitches right there. Little, right? I had a little nose tuck right here. Oh my here. God. See that? See, I, I'm, yeah. getting, uh, I'm getting them everywhere else. I've had, I what just have had you surgery. Had? So I tried the, uh, this, I'm so... Butt implants? Butt implants. No, I shattered my foot because of the RA. I tried the course, shattered Ooh, my ow, foot, had ow. foot surgery. You did the ninja course and did shattered your foot. Did the ninja course. I did, I just did a s- charity ski race, wiped out uh, um, at the end. 
and tore, you're terribly accident prone, aren't you? Partially tore my pack. <laughs> no, I hadn't skied in a year, and I'm racing against a 28. Oh, that was a great idea, wasn't and so it? So I sell out and wipe out, partially tear my pack. Just had uh, the PRP, the plasma rich or platelet rich plasma injection. Okay. And so, and then I just sprained my ankle three nights ago in Dallas trying uh, trying one of the obstacles again. I I am just... They, You're like, a wreck, let's they, be honest. And they went in and the first thing, they're like, sign this release. I'm like, I, I'm not going to sue you guys. This was totally on me. Look, please don't trip on the way out of I here. Mean, you know, is, I mean, it is... I can't deal with it. It is. It is. It's, I, so I have lost some of the sensation in my feet. I think that's my excuse for my balance being a little bit off. Yeah. But uh, I am definitely not the athlete that I think I am in my head still or ever was. None of us are. It's, it really is. Age is cruel in that regard. It is. When you, but you you're go just out a young there, man. You're just getting started. I'm 40, Forty-seven, and I'm holding up. But it. Uh, you look good for forty-seven. Where are we going to see you in uh, when you're fifty-seven? Ten years from now. I, I I I hope still. I would love to still be hosting Ninja Warrior if it were still going I, on. I don't see you know why what you would, won't I would, be. I, what I would love to be doing is is. Honestly, I I don't know what I just wanna I just wanna work. I wanna yeah. I wanna keep doing having keep fun. Hosting. I wanna keep having fun. I hope I'm still doing stand up. I, I would love I love the intimacy and immediacy of being on stage with a crowd of people because there you want to be hugged. Let's be honest. It, 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 it's it being is, hugged by the audience. It they is, want but there's the immediacy of it. You know, so often we do our shows and we have a crowd there, so you get some sense of it. But so often, you know, you're shooting in the and you're talking into a dead talking camera. Into a dead camera, yeah. and you don't know what the response is going to be. But there's something about stand up where it's like this is me in a crowd with just a microphone and people can clap, people can smile, but they don't fake. People laughter. can throw things. They at can you. throw things, but you know if a joke is funny or not. And I love the immediacy of right now, be on it, you know, where you, you, you do something and you have this, it's, I, I like that, that to, instant I reaction. I never, I've never surfed, but to me, I, I call it right. Please don't the surf by the way, based on your accident prone <laughs> history. Don't be out there like, listen, you're going to run into it. Don't surf. I, I call it this idea of when you, when standup is going well, it just feels like you're on the crest of a wave with this tremendous energy in a room. It is such a high for me doing standup that it's something I always hope I do. do you, have you got a doctor joke quit, that always works? I, work? I uh, no, that always works. Nothing, nothing always okay. works. What's your, uh, what's your go-to so go doctor joke is uh uh what is it uh i'm a doctor who quit being a doctor uh to do stand-up comedy and not just because of the lawsuits let's see it didn't always work uh no it's because i believe laughter is the best medicine yeah it turns out vicodin works a hell of a lot better <laughs> Okay, see, they're, they're, they're okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough audience. Yeah. They're not drunk. I'm going to loop in some laughter track at the end yes. of this. Yes, please. All right, so a couple questions to All end right. with. Let's do it. Uh, the last time you laughed so hard oh that you, you cried. Um, You're crying right now, actually. I, I, uh, I was just talking to a friend about this, how I think that that is um, one of the best feelings in life. And we were talking to my mom was, was talking about her mom who's passed away. And my grandma tells this joke and my mom said, my grandma could never tell the joke right. Cause she would always get the punchline wrong. Cause she'd be laughing so hard. My mom was trying to tell how my grandma told this story when we were just home. And it was funnier listening to it your mom It was funnier listening to my mom because she was remembering her mom telling it. And we were all just like, just laughing and laughing 
And it was one of those things where you, when you can't breathe right. and you're just shaking. And this was just, this was last weekend. And it was just one of those things where it felt like I'd run a marathon afterwards. You're going to take a trip across country. You could take three people in the car with you from any time in history. Right. Who's in the car with you? For me, I think the three people, because laughter is so funny, it would be Will Ferrell, wow. Eddie Murphy, and Brian Regan. Because to me, a road trip would be... That's, to me, that's a disaster waiting to happen, by the way, because you guys would, would be it. laughing so hard that you'd be careering I, off the road. Because I love, for me, I've done, I've done road trips. I love exploring the U.S., uh, but, but to me, it's the journey. And being in a car for hours, especially before you had iPhones or yeah. satellite radio. Well, you entertained yourself. You just had to talk. And you played and I the Spy. the idea of the, the I Spy or whatever it was, just the road trips where you just start telling stories. And it, 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 it would be that thing of, I feel like the laughter, just to be with the three guys who I think have made me laugh the most in my life. Have you met any of them? I met Will Ferrell briefly. Um, and Brian Regan's a comedian I've met. Eddie Murphy, never. And the idea of just being with them and... And just cutting loose and just saying like, just, let's just, let's just have a couple, you know, someone's driving, someone else will drive. We'll have a couple pops and just let the stories go. And now kind of a poignant question. If you knew that you were going to die at midnight tomorrow, what would you do with your last day on earth? I would immediately jump on a plane and fly home to Denver and hang out with my family and my, my friends who were in town and then have my mom make Thanksgiving dinner, probably watch uh, like some old home videos. And then like at 1030, I would go over to the comedy club and go on stage and finish my set at 1159 and 59 and put the mic in and then just drop dead. From stand up to full down. I, I, would want, I would want my family to be there and I would want to tell my last joke and then just go. Last joke, what would you throw out there? I, 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 don't know. I, would go, I, I have the solution to life, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's it, and die right there. And die right there. Thanks, man. <laughs> Let's go, there it is. Appreciate it. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> if you have a really cool story that you wanna share with us, then why not share? Maybe you'll become my next guest. Don't forget, you can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com.